Pastor Ed Taylor says one of the most wonderful things about God's love is it's unconditional. We've seen God's faithfulness time and time again in our family. We've seen God's faithfulness time and time again in our fellowship. We continue to see God's faithfulness. And I'll tell you what, you will continue to see God's faithfulness. But realize something. God's love, God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. What that means is that there are no conditions for you to meet that God would love you. You know, as a matter of fact, there are times when you were at your worst, God loved you. When you were in your neediest, God loves you. When you had nothing whatsoever to offer God, He loves you. This is amazing grace. When you want to demonstrate your love for someone, perhaps you buy and give them a dozen roses or a box of chocolates. But when God demonstrated His love for us, He did it through the sending of His one and only Son into the world to save us. Now that's love. And today on Abounding Grace, we'll discover it's incomparable and unconditional. Pastor Ed Taylor is going through Romans one verse at a time, and as we return to chapter 5 today, he's going to reveal four things that demonstrate how wonderful God's love truly is. Well, the love of God is foundational and unquestionable. The love of God is the very bedrock of where we build our lives. The Bible says that we love God because He first loved us, and it becomes a foundation for our life. For some of you, you might have come from a very loveless background. You might have been described as a person without love. But now as a believer being born again, your life is infused with God's love. God didn't just sprinkle his love on you. He just didn't pour a little bit on you. He just didn't measure it to us believers. But in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we learn that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in us. Poured out. Next to the words poured out, you could write lavishly given or given in abundance. That's what those words mean in the original language. That it was given to us in abundance, right into the very part of our heart, into the character of our lives by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Jesus, we know, is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd laid his life down for the sheep. And in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, he poured out that very love that motivated him into our lives by faith. Not sprinkling it, not scattering it, but lavishing it upon us. And we have this increasing joy of love in our lives. We're always growing in love. There's always more love, not only coming upon us and in us, but now God wanting to bring love through us. So now we're vessels of his love. It's not just to enjoy it for ourselves and say, oh yes, now I have this relationship with you, Lord, but now we become vessels of his love. And what a joy that is. I mean, it's awesome to think that we now become vessels of love. Flip over now to 1 John chapter 2, because the love of God is so different than what the world offers. This world has a false love, always trying to intrude in the believer's life 
always trying to replace the agape love that God has put into our hearts. Remember, we looked at the four words that the Greeks would use for love. And when we looked at those words, we learned that agape was just the sweetest part, the sweetest type of love that comes from God himself, the self-sacrificial love. But the world's always saying, no, 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 don't follow that kind of love. I have an alternative for you. But notice the warning that John gives us in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world. And referring to not the globe or the earth or the dirt, but the world system, the way the world does things, the way of the world. He says, don't love that. And don't love the things in the world. Why? Notice, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The love of God is so different from the love of this world. The love of this world is very earthly, very material, very temporal, very self-serving. The way this world operates is make sure that you're the one that's satisfied. Make sure you're the one that's taken care of. Make sure you're the one that's happy. Make sure you're the one that gets all that you want. And the love of God is make sure that you're giving. Make sure that you're sacrificing. Make sure that others come before you. It's so different. So that if we get caught up in the love of this world, then the love of the Father dissipates. And what a sad thing to watch that happen. And it's true. God's love is unlike any other love. And today we'll see just how wonderful it is and how it's demonstrated through His Son, Jesus Christ, how we can see a very tangible example of what love looks like and where we can look for the demonstration of God's love. So for those of you that are taking notes, there's four things I want to show you through this section of Romans that will demonstrate to us how wonderful God's love is. It's almost as if in this section of Romans, Paul just pauses for a second. He's got weighty doctrines. He has tough things to say, things that will shoot right to the heart, things that will cause our minds to think. But he pauses in a section here, and he says, I just want you to understand what a blessing it is to be a believer. Amen? I mean, it's true. What a blessing it is to be saved. How we have access with God and peace with God. We have the hope of God. We have the grace of God. We have his love poured out on our hearts. And then he says, this is what love looks like. I just want you to understand, believers, the price that was paid for you. I just want you to understand that the salvation that you enjoyed didn't come to you freely. That there was a price that was paid, an example that was set. And so four things beginning in verse 6. The first one, God's love is unconditional. I love that about God. He loves you and me unconditionally. Verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear that? Notice the timing. When you and I were without strength, he died for who? What does your Bible say? The ungodly. He died for us in our ungodliness in our life that was living contrary to the things of God. We were in a position of absolute hopelessness and helplessness apart from Jesus Christ. There was nothing that we could do. We couldn't even help God out a little bit. We couldn't offer to God anything that would have merited him saving our souls and rescuing our lives. We were helpless. We were hopeless. And do you know that God really doesn't need my help? He doesn't need your help. 
I know that might be a little offensive, but it's true. God doesn't need our help. You'll study through the scriptures, and time and time again, you'll come across men and women just like you and me, followers of God, that decided one day in their life, you know what, I think I'll help God out a little bit. You want to jot them down, I'll give them to you. If you're one of those that likes to help God out a little bit, let these people warn you. First of all, we come to Abram and Sarai. Remember them? God gave them a promise. The problem was they didn't like waiting for the promise. He says, wait a minute, God, you gave me a promise. We want that promise right now. We're very patient, but can you do it right now, please? Right now. And year after year came to the point where they said, you know, I know what God said. Why don't we help him out a little bit? And you can jot it down in Genesis chapter 17. We learn of a young baby named Ishmael. Ishmael was born to Abram and Sarai as they attempted to help God out and cause problems every day after his birth. What a bad decision it was to jump in and try to help God out. Remember King Saul? He had that attitude too. King Saul was given a very simple command. Wipe out the Amalekites. They're going to destroy the children of, of Israel. They're going to destroy my people. King Saul, wipe them out. And as he went to battle, King Saul did a pretty good job. He wiped them out almost, almost. He kept the king. Remember King Agag? King kept them around, kept a few of the animals. But do you know it was later in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that King Saul died at the hand of an Amalekite? His fleshly attempt to help God ended up getting him and coming around and ending his life. I think of James and John. Weren't they neat guys? Jesus called them what? The sons of thunder. I can only imagine. Can you imagine them walking around? I mean, I'm sure they had attitude, man. They were at it. Maybe, maybe their robes were leather, you know? And they had chains, and they're just walking around. You could just tell, you know, that's James and John. So there was a group over there that weren't following Jesus, and it upset them to the point where they said, hey, Jesus, can we help you out a little bit? You know, we read in the Old Testament about that fire from heaven. Why don't we just call fire down from heaven and wipe them out? And what did Jesus do? He rebuked them. He says, that's not my heart. You guys miss it. I don't need your help, boys. I, 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 no, no, thank you. I don't need it. And they were so wrong not walking in the Spirit, but stepping out in the flesh. Oh, I think not of, only of James and John, but also Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Did you know that? He wasn't a swordsman. And so as Jesus is there in the garden, and they came after Jesus, I don't know what got in Peter, but he decided to put his fishing pole away, and he pulled out a sword. Remember that? I'll protect you, Jesus. I'll take care of you. And he takes his sword out, and as he's trying to get the guy, he does what? Cuts his ear off. Like, oh, man, Peter, what are you? Put that sword away. What are you doing? I don't need your help. And if it wasn't for the merciful touch of Jesus Christ putting the guy's ear back on, there could very well have been a fourth cross as he tried to take out a Roman soldier, Peter did. God covers our mistakes quite a bit, doesn't he? I'm very thankful for that. He brings us back to a place of walking in the Spirit. And the truth is this, this. You and I cannot help God out. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need our help. He wants our surrender. He desires our obedience. He wants us to walk in communion and in harmony with Him. But He's the leader. We're the follower. He's the teacher. We're the learner. He is God, and we are His disciples. And He doesn't need our help. No, rather what? We need His help. And we need it badly. And that's why my heart grieves at times as a pastor. 
Because I will hear from time to time on somebody on TV or maybe a radio ministry or a flyer that comes into the mail that cries out, some guy says, oh, you've got to send in your money right now, right now, right now. You've got to send in your seed gift. You've got to send in your pledge. Because if you don't send in your money, our ministry won't be on the air anymore. God needs you. And I say, you know, if God's not supplying, then maybe you just need to go off the air. How's that? Because God doesn't need our help. Can you imagine God in heaven saying, oh, I really want to do something. I really want to move. But those guys just won't give. I wish they would. My Bible says God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants to move resources in one direction or another, we don't need to stand here and beg you for it. God will move upon your heart. You never need to be guilted into giving or feeling bad, but rather the Bible says that we give with what cheerful hearts, that we give what God has purposed in our hearts. And we've learned this lesson, haven't we? Where God guides, he always provides. That's a truth you can live by. Where God guides, he provides. What a wonderful lesson to learn as we take steps of faith that God is faithful. Here's the rub. The rub is this. We often view God as unfaithful simply because he doesn't provide for all of our wants. And we confuse that sometimes between what we need and what we want. And I would say far too often we define a want in our heart as an absolute need. And when God answers no, we sometimes look at God as being unfaithful. But the Bible says that God is never unfaithful. That even when we are faithless, God, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so it's important that as we're praying for the needs of our home, maybe you've taken a step of faith and you're finding that, hey, I, things are tight right now or things are very difficult. If it's from the Lord, God will provide. He'll provide for your every need. He'll take care of every need in your life. It may not be in your timing. It may not cover all of your wants, but you can rest assured your God and my God is faithful. And where God guides, he always, listen, he always provides. You know what that means? It means that when we find times of difficulty and when we find times that perhaps God is not providing, we must step back and ask, God, is this from you? Is this really from you? Is this really the direction you had for me? Is this really you wanted from me? Is this really what you wanted me to do? And then with that answer, as we pray, if it wasn't from the Lord, we need to back off and let it go. Too much striving is going on in Christians' lives today to try to keep something alive that God is obviously not in. And you've got to let it go. We've seen God's faithfulness time and time again in our family. We've seen God's faithfulness time and time again in our fellowship. We continue to see God's faithfulness. And I'll tell you what, you will continue to see God's faithfulness. But realize something. God's love, God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. What that means is that there are no conditions for you to meet that God would love you. No, as a matter of fact, there are times when you were at your worst, God loved you. When you were in your neediest, God loves you. When you had nothing whatsoever to offer God, He loves you. And maybe you're here today for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, you've had a hard time admitting that you're helpless. It, it goes against the grain of our character. We don't like to be helpless and needy. We don't like those categories. We don't like to be known as people that need God. We don't like to be known as people that might need a crutch. You know how sometimes people will say, well, Jesus, that religion is just a crutch in your life, you know? And you're like, well, well no, no, it's not a crutch. 
It's a stretcher, man. My whole life is on Jesus. <laughs> I just don't need a crutch holding me up. I lay my whole life down on him. He's everything to me. And don't let somebody try to make you feel bad because Jesus is a crutch. Jesus is everything to me. The Bible says I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ, but in him I can do all things. And so his love comes to us by grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, because he's faithful. But it's hard to say, I'm helpless, isn't it? It's hard to even get those words out of our mouth. I'm helpless. I'm needy. But that's the truth. Because he says, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Number two is found in verse 7. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number two, God's love is incomparable. There is nothing in this world that can compare to the love of God. There's nothing in this world that really, really comes close to lighting a candle to the agape love of God that has come to us in our greatest time of need. I mean, look at this. He says, as he begins to describe it, for scarcely a righteous man will one die, and yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. Let me put that in perspective for you. Let's think of the very worst criminal that ever came to mind. No need to mention names today, but if we mentioned a few, you'd go, wow, disgusting what he did. How could she do a thing like that? And just the thought of the crimes is so repulsive and, and, and so they just, they just cut to the heart. We have so-and-so kept hostage. Can we find five or ten people that are willing to lay their life down to get this guy out of prison? Do you think we'd find a few? Probably not. Other than maybe their mother, I don't think anyone would want them out because it's hard to love those that are despicable. It's hard to love those that have hurt us. It's hard to love those that what they have done is so repulsive. And you understand now the love of God. The love of God comes, well, scarcely for a righteous man, perhaps for a good one, but, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners... While we were living like God didn't exist, while we were living mocking him with our mouths and with our lives, while we were taking his name under the mud, while we were taking his name in vain, while we were living lives as if he didn't exist, Jesus came to die for you and me. He did that for us. One of the things that has blessed me this last weekend as we had the building dedication on Friday. And so some of my friends have flown out from California, guys that I grew up with, guys that I hung around with when I wasn't saved. And we're beginning to talk about, because my memory isn't all that it should be, and we're beginning to talk about a little bit of what we were like as unbelievers. We weren't glorying in it. We're just looking at the glorious work of God that has changed our lives. But I'll tell you what, I wasn't a very nice person apart from Jesus Christ. I didn't care. And I treated people that way. I didn't value people. I didn't value my friends. I didn't value their parents. I didn't value anybody. There was only one person I valued, and that was me. I was the kind of guy that you would try to bring the message of hope to me, and I'm like, I don't need that. Then you try to scare the hell out of me by bringing the message of hell to me, and I didn't care about that either. I'd say something like, well, all right, hell, hell. We'll party in hell. What's the big deal about hell? And who is this God anyway? 
And who cares about God? You know, we'll just take this party, we'll move it from this place to hell, and we'll all just have a big party. And how wrong and how lost and how messed up I was. You think about that. God didn't write me off. He knew not only what I said, but he knew what I thought. He knew all the things that I, I went to bed with. He, he knew the, the, the thoughts I harbored that never got communicated. He knew much I didn't love him or care about him. He knew that, that the Bible and Christians and, and, and all that meant nothing to me. And instead of writing me off, you know what he did? He sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, for me in my worst. He demonstrated his love some 2,000 years ago for me. He died for me not in my best, because I never had a best. The best parts of my life have been a, a Christian being born again. Apart from Jesus Christ, there were no best parts of my life. And he died for me, and he died for you in your worst. Whatever that might be, whether you were mocking him or making fun of him, whether you were taking his name in vain or stomping on his precious work or coming against his church, he died anyway. And while we were actively and purposely and willingly breaking God's law, he died for us. And therefore, God's love is incomparable. It blows the mind to think of the love of God. You know why? Because when we think of God's love being unconditional and incomparable, we think back to the times in our life where we make love for others so conditional that we have lines that have to be crossed. We have actions that need to be taken when God is simply saying, I want you to love them just like I loved you. And that's the rub. That's the difficulty. The good news is that love's been poured out into our hearts that the minute we make the decision to obey is the minute he enables us to love. It's absolutely mind-blowing. The story is told of a Prussian king by the name of Frederick the Great. And he was once touring a Berlin prison, and as he walked by, the prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence. Man after man proclaimed, I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. I wasn't there. What a great miscarriage of justice. Get me out. I don't belong here. That is all except for one man who remained silent while Frederick the Great was walking through the prison. And the king came to him and said, Why are you here? Armed robbery, your majesty, was the reply. Are you guilty? Yes, your majesty, indeed I am, and I deserve every ounce of my punishment. Immediately, King Frederick summoned the jailer and ordered him, Release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine, innocent people who occupy it. <laughs> all along the way, I don't belong here. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not guilty. I'm okay. I'm a good person. Until one person finally bowed the knee and said, I am guilty, I admit it, I deserve what I get, and great grace was shown to that man who admitted his guilt before the Lord. Do you know that's exactly how it works today in the kingdom of God? As the king himself, Jesus, flows through this room by the power of his Holy Spirit, asking, are you guilty? Are you guilty? And to those that bow the knee and admit their need and their helplessness and their sin, by repentance, through faith, God rushes in through His Son, Jesus Christ, and cleanses you of all your sin. 
Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in Romans. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is a great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Calvary Aurora. We enjoy hearing from our listeners, even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.